welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Greater is he that's in you. 1 John 4, 4, first scripture I ever learned. Then I learned Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I got a dollar for that. Then I learned the 66 books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Spurs, Samuel, Kings, Kings, Gone, Gods, Barnacles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra, Ecclesiastes, etc., etc., etc. Got nothing for that. Dad said, Stop singing. <laughs> yeah, I got a dollar for stop singing. Where's Toph? Here. It's not like a positive, it's like, why? He said here, but he meant why? Come up here. He's our coach for the football team. With Tash. My money's on Tash. Look at this guy, he's a big guy. I'm not going to get him to show us his legs because we'd embarrass his wife. But underneath these jeans, he's got calves that are like massive. His legs are massive. Stomach trim. Shoulders massive. Arms. He's a big lad, isn't he? I mean, like, if I hit him, it's not going to hurt him. Is it? <laughs> he's tall. He's, he's handsome. Point, point is, he's big. That being the case, you would expect his kids to grow up to be big, wouldn't you? Why? Because their father is big. Like dad, like son. You'd expect because he's a big guy, the kids will grow up big and strong. Big and strong father, big and strong kids. Amen. Thanks, Toph. You can take a seat. You're preaching well today, Toph. Awesome. What's that got to do with anything? This. Our Father in heaven. Big God. Massive God. Indescribably, awesomely huge God. That being true, and it is, Isn't it only fair to think that his children would be big and strong and bold and courageous? God is a powerful God. So shouldn't we expect his children to be powerful people? Question, when is the last time powerful was used to describe you? If God is big and powerful, surely that should be reflected in the life of his kids. Question, how big is your God? See, I felt God lay this upon my heart this week, that we have reduced the bigness of God to the smallness of our thinking. 
In other words, while God is big, strong and powerful, He'll only be as big and as strong and as powerful in your thinking. So how big is your God? Or have you reduced Him to the smallness of your understanding? You see, when we reduce God, the Father, to the smallness of our understanding, we find it hard to interpret most of the Bible. You take, for example, the story of Noah's Ark. I mean, that's a crazy story. And most of us struggle to believe that could actually take place because we've reduced the bigness of God to the smallness of our understanding. And so what many people have done with Noah's Ark, you say, well, it didn't actually really happen. It's more of a metaphor. Because we know how incredibly difficult it would be to get every kind of animal, male and female, to get into one boat. Most of you can't even get your dog to sit. <laughs> sit, boy, sit, boy, sit. Come on, come on, sit, sit down. And we're so aware of our realities that we read the Bible and think, are you kidding me? Two giraffes, two elephants, two ants. I mean, you've got to have faith just to think that an ant wouldn't, uh, the elephant wouldn't stomp on the ant. And so because we can't comprehend that, we reduce the bigness of our God to the smallness of our understanding and say, oh, it must be a metaphor. What God really meant was, but when you understand God just created, it's easy to understand. I mean, what's more difficult to get two kinds of every animal onto the ark or just to speak those animals into existence? If you understand God just spoke them into existence, it's, nothing is impossible for Him. You know, right now, people are spending millions of dollars trying to get a man on Mars. Millions of dollars. And I think there's a plan by 2030, we're going to aim to have a man on Mars. Time and money and effort and energy getting a man to Mars. And we're going to pat ourselves on the back and think we're so clever. But can I just say, God spoke. And 350 million at a conservative guess, galaxies came into being. God is an incredibly big God. But we struggle to understand the bigness of God. And the truth is, it's not hard to comprehend, it's impossible. We need help. Do you agree? Shout out with me. Help! We do. We need help. Here's the good news. Help is at hand. God the Father loved us so much that He sent His Son to save us from the world. Awesome. And Jesus loved us so much that He sent the Holy Spirit to help us in this world. Jesus to save us, the Holy Spirit to help us. And the Holy Spirit loves us so much that He's hung around for the last 2,000 years here on planet Earth to help the church. He loves us so much, He's put up with the bickering. He's put up with the complaining. He's put up with the whinging. He's never left. He's with us. 
God is with us through His Holy Spirit. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Pete preached a great message last week about the theology of the Holy Spirit. And can I say this about this whole series or any series we ever do? It's not an exhaustive study. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, there's so much more he could have said, you are right. And if you want to know more, there's books and there's tapes and there's discussions to be had. But Pete highlighted three things about God last week. God the Holy Spirit is a person. God the Holy Spirit is God. And God the Holy Spirit is with us. That being true, I want to talk to you this morning about why He is with us. What role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. I want to look at a few things and it is not an exhaustive list. But hopefully it will kickstart you into a pursuit of holiness and holy living. This whole series is about us knowing more about God so we can live more godly lives. Amen. And so I want to look at some things this morning that the Holy Spirit does for us. He's known as many things. And I want to look at some of those this morning. The first thing I want to look at is simply this, that the Holy Spirit empowers, everyone say empowers. He empowers our lives. Turn with me if you would to Acts chapter 1 or look on the screen. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus speaking. He says, but you will receive power. Everyone say it just like that. Power. That's the problem with the church. We don't believe it. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Adelaide and Melbourne and Perth. To the uttermost parts of the earth, New Zealand. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you'll be powerful because He's a powerful God. Powerful Father, powerful children. And we see that in the early church. This bunch of about 120 people, they're locked up in the upper room, afraid. Doors are locked. And they're waiting for this promise. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it feels like. They don't know what it sounds like. But on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the impartation of the third person of the Godhead enters their world and their lives are forever changed. These scared, weak, anemic, namby-pamby, hideaway Christians just get strong on the inside. It wasn't a force. It wasn't a something. It was someone entered their lives. And they unlocked those doors. They kicked the doors down. 
They ran downstairs and started declaring the praises of God. And Peter has this incredible revelation and boldness. And he starts challenging the people that are around thinking they're drunk and they're mocking them. And Jesus says, oh no, this is that. This was prophesied 700 years ago. Joel said this would happen. This of what Joel said is happening right now. And then he talks about Jesus. And he says, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's telling them that they killed Jesus. Only moments early, they're locked away. Now he's baiting them. He's picking a fight with them. He's like Benaiah who went down into a pit on a snowy day and looked for a lion to kill. I mean, this wasn't a guy who just had a lion come by him. He went after the lion. And Peter was like that. He went after them. He says, you've killed the Christ. You're going to hell. And they weren't mocking him anymore. Something changed. 3,000 said, it's true. What are we going to do to be saved? They were cut to the core. Peter became this powerful person as the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, entered his life. But he wasn't alone. He stood up with the 11 others. There was 11 others saying the same thing. They were saying, yes, they were giving him an amen. They weren't quiet, sit down in the back road, Christians. They were saying, that's right, Peter. This is good preaching, Peter. They were encouraging Peter. Peter, along with the 11, said. You can preach right where you are. You don't have to wait till you get up here. You can preach right where you are every Sunday. And so the 11 were just declaring the incredible things of God. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the place of prayer and there's this beggar at the gate, beautiful. He'd been there for years. And Peter and John go up to him and he's expecting to get some money. He's expecting something, but he didn't get what he expected. He got something far more. And Peter and John look down at this man and said, we don't have silver and gold, but what we have is something better. It's the power of, of God. They grab him by the hand, he stands up and he's healed instantly. Incredible story. And Peter says this in Acts chapter 3, verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made the man walk? Peter knew that this was not him. Peter remembered not too long ago, I was locked away afraid. And so now he's saying, this isn't us. This is God in us, the hope of glory. Powerful. Powerful. When was the last time someone used that word to describe you? Or was it like whinger? Liar? Fornicator? Or when was it powerful? Can I say this about the power of God? The power was for a purpose. It was witnessing power. It wasn't power to do your own thing, make your own money, live a nice life. It was power with a purpose. Jesus said, you'll receive my power and you'll be my witnesses. And so when Peter and John raised that man up to wholeness and healing, it was the witness of God at work. See, Jesus didn't say you'll receive power and you'll be, do some witnessing. He said you'll be a witness. Didn't say you'll do witnessing. He said you'll be a witness. Everything about us says something about us. Yeah. 
Are you being a witness? Here's the answer to that question. Yes, you are. What kind of a witness? That's the question. And so this is a power to witness. Witnessing is simply showing the world what Jesus looks like. And so it's a power to overcome addiction. Drugs, smoking, whatever, drink, whatever it may be that's a hindrance. It's power for that to him who believes. It's power to resist temptation. Those unmarried in this place, young or old, some people think, you know, that sex before marriage thing, that's, that's for the teenagers, but once you're 20 and over, that doesn't apply to you. If you're not married, power to resist. You know, when you're, when you're a young man, there's hormones and testosterone flying through your body as we learned yesterday in the real men's meeting. And it's powerful force. It's a powerful driving force that's in us. But greater is he that's in you than testosterone. And we have an opportunity to show the world that. And Christians aren't wimpy, nerdy, you know, not interested in girl type men. They are red-blooded, testosterone-filled men that have the power of God to say no. That's the point. And in saying no, we declare and we show the world what Jesus is like. Jesus never took advantage of a woman, ever. The woman caught in the act of adultery, they're ready to kill her. He saves her. All of his accusers go away. It's just him and the girl. I'm telling you, this woman's life was on the line. Jesus stands up and rescues her. I'm telling you, this woman is putty in her hand. And Jesus does not take advantage of that. Powerful lives. Power to overcome addictions. Powerful to overcome temptation. Powerful to break habits. Maybe before you got saved, you swore all the time. But there's power to overcome. hundred years ago in the Azusa revival, in the Welsh revival, we hear stories. This is the days before cars. And they had horses and ponies doing the work. And these pit ponies that carry just incredible large amounts of, of, of coal and wood and all the other things that they needed. They had to be retrained because when the Welsh revival broke out, the people spoke to those donkeys with expletive after expletive. And the donkeys only understood a certain way of being spoken to. But when they got saved, all the language dropped off. And so when the donkeys have been so used to, get here, kicking her. But now they say, hey, come on, donkey. Do you want some food? Come on, donkey. The donkey's like, what's going on? Even the donkeys knew something was different. Power to break habits. You don't say, oh, Jesus loves me, I'm going to keep swearing. That's not the point. Of course he loves you, but where's the power to overcome? It's a power to speak the truth in a politically correct world. To stand up and say what is true. In a world where truth is so relative, there are some absolutes. And we need bold, powerful, audacious, lion-looking men and women who speak the truth. Who are more afraid of God than they are of man. 
Secondly, I could go on about that all day. I'm preaching better than you are responding, I'm telling you. I'm doing a flipping awesome job and you're doing a very average job. I need power, Lord, just to keep going now. Give me strength. Secondly, the Holy Spirit comforts. John chapter 14, verse 16 says, And I pray, so I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide in you forever. John 14, verse 26 But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit wants to come and comfort you. But that doesn't mean he's come to make you comfortable. But he has come to comfort you. And he comforts us because we are going to be in very uncomfortable situations. Paul and Silas were in prison, whipped, beaten, and imprisoned. Yet the Holy Spirit was there with them and they were comforted to the point that they could sing praises to God. Because having the Holy Spirit in you isn't about making your life comfortable. It's about facing the impossible. But having a sense of peace and joy because of the comforter at work in your life. Who wants some of that? See, most of our prayer, because we don't have good theology... If we pray at all, it's God, get me out of this. And I feel the answer to so many of those prayers is, no, I won't, but I will comfort you through it. Tori is one of my heroes. Her last three years, four years have changed her life with all that she's faced on a personal front and a family level. And for her to live the way she has. And many of you who are new to the church that don't know her story, you would not believe me because the comforter has been at work in her life. And because of those personal things that went down, she had to sell a home and and there was some poor salesman that was invited in to (laughs) sell a house. He was doing a terrible job. He couldn't sell it. He was hopeless. And he kept coming back and having coffee with Tori and helping her. And, and, and the house would not sell. But Tori, with the full of the comforter of the Holy Spirit, recognized this is a God thing. This house is not selling because he's a bad salesman. This house is not selling because this is a moment that God wants me to grab a hold of. And she had the comfort to recognize what was really happening. And as the weeks and months passed, Andre, 
was intrigued by this woman who wasn't acting like everyone else. She was being a witness because she's filled with the power of God. And Andre, just intrigued, had to check out the church. Then had to bring his family and they got saved. The Holy Spirit is a comfort that will take you through the most uncomfortable circumstance and situation that is common to man. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. With all of my heart. Thirdly, He's the one who guides. John 16 verse 30 says, When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. Have any any of you ever been on an excursion? Think back to your school days. And you would have a tour guide. And that would be the one that stand at the front and lead the group. And they would say, this is so-and-so, back in 19, da, da, da. and they would tell all this story. And they would lead you and guide you and explain things to you. Yeah. I remember one year, me and my mates, boys will be boys, thought we knew better. We don't need a guide. And so as they were going this way, we went that way. And got utterly and miserably lost. That's where the world is. Right now, lost. That's where many Christians are right now, lost. Because they've got away from the guide. He says, come this way. He leads us into truth. I don't like that. That looks like trouble. Yeah, that's why I'm leading you. So we go this way and create more trouble for ourselves. He's a guide And he guides us into truth. In a world where truth is so relative and there are no absolutes, the Holy Spirit illuminates absolute truth. That Jesus is the only way to heaven. I don't care who's in government. I don't care how few Christians there are. It does not change the word of God being the word of God. He also helps us hold truth in tension with other truth. Maybe you've read the Bible and thought, oh, the Bible's ridiculous, it contradicts itself. And without the Holy Spirit, I see why that would be the case. Because there are so many truths that need to be held in tension with other truths. Jesus told a story about the lost sheep. You know that story? That this shepherd had a hundred sheep, but surely if one got lost... The good shepherd would go after that one and leave the 99. We say, that's right. So we make that the philosophy of our life. But Jesus spoke one occasion and spoke about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. The disciples were grossed out by that and and many of the disciples left. And Jesus never went after one of them. Hang on a minute. Isn't that a contradiction to the story Jesus told? But as we go to the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, reveal your truth. Reveal the truth. And the Holy Spirit will start to show you there's a difference between someone being lost and someone being rebellious. 
He said, ah. And when he speaks to you, you realize who to let go and who to go after. The Holy Spirit gives you that. Without the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding, the scriptures will just confuse you. You won't understand it. That's why every time I read the Bible, I say, Holy Spirit, reveal the Father's truth to me. I'm not smart enough to understand this. I'm not educated enough. And the Father said, that's educated, son. Okay, sorry, see what I mean? I'm not wise enough. Holy Spirit, you are. And then you see things in Scripture, it comes alive. Because he guides us into truth. And here's the other thing about that. It's not truth all at once. You who want to know everything all at once, it doesn't happen that way. He guides us into. Started this church 16 years ago. I just turned, just turned 25. If you told me at the age of 15, when I was into soccer, I was into sign writing, and I was into other things. If you said, you're going to start a church in 10 years from now. That was the truth. God knew that. I would have killed myself. I'm glad that he guides me into truth. I'm not ready to hear all he's got for me. So stop worrying about what you don't know. Respond to what you do. But what happened in that 10 years for me not wanting to ever even consider church? I mean, I wasn't even going to church at 15. Not regularly. And yet in 10 short years, there was this incredible desire to serve God. What happened? Holy Spirit leading. See things differently. He guides us into truth. Doesn't give it all at once. Imagine if God says to you, okay, you want to know what you're, when you're going to die? When, you, oh, no, you don't, you don't want to know that. And the fourth thing, last thing for today, he convicts. John 16 verse 7 says this, I tell you the truth, it is for you good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsel of the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit never condemns. But he does convict. Conviction does not give you warm, fuzzy feelings. God can be speaking to you and you cannot feel good about it. And it can still be God. God is good all the time. But it doesn't feel good all the time. But he's good all the time. And all the time, God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But it doesn't feel good all the time. I want to encourage you with this thought. If you feel bad when you've done a bad thing, that's a good thing. 
If you feel good when you've done a bad thing, that's a bad thing. The fact that you feel bad when you've done a bad thing is a good thing because it means God's still at work in your life. If we start feeling good about doing bad things, it's because our conscience has become seared, the Bible says. And we can no longer feel right from wrong. And so when we open our lives up to the Holy Spirit, He's going to say some things to us that we're not going to like. Just like a father does with their son. I love my kids. I do. And I know you do for all of those mums and dads out there. But loving them does not mean you give them whatever they want all the time, anytime. And your love for them, you want them to feel bad. You want them to feel the weight of their decisions so they can learn from them. See, condemnation is about making you feel bad for feeling bad's sake. We're not about that. We want you to feel bad so you make some change. And so he leads us into sin. So, <laughs> he doesn't. Dwayne does. No, um, <laughs> I just saw your face smiling at me. It was a nervous reaction. He convicts us of sin. And sin in the shortest, simplest time, is just the wrong thing. When we do the wrong thing, he convicts us of that. And there are things that are wrong just because they're wrong. Stealing, wrong. Sleeping around, wrong. All those things, the absolutes. But then there's things that he'll convict you about that are wrong for you. And you've got to know the difference. Because some people preach this is wrong because they've heard God, but what they fail to hear is that that's wrong for them. And so there are some things that are right, but wrong for you. And as you get closer with God, there'll be some things that He doesn't want you to do anymore. That He didn't mind you doing in a previous season in your life. And the Holy Spirit will lead you into and out of those things. When we first started our church, I was green, I was young, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so I used to tell the church for 18 months, I don't know what I'm doing, church, but I sure am enjoying it. And everyone went, whoa, it's awesome. Which is really stupid, really. And I said that for 18 months. And, and I, 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 it was kind of like a, a release. Value. It just took the pressure off me. Don't expect too much of me because I don't know what I'm doing. But we sure are enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> About the 18 months, Mark, I, I felt this. I couldn't say it and feel the same way I used to. And it was God leading me out of something. And I felt God say, you can't build a church and keep saying that. I'm thinking, well, 18 months you let me get away with it. I said, yeah, that was my grace to you. And so because I had a bad habit, I didn't break it immediately. But this is what happened in the next six months. Hey, church, I don't know what I'm doing, but I sure am enjoying myself. And that doesn't feel the same anymore. Until I thought, this is stupid. Until I thought, I'm never saying that again. And I didn't. And God will do that in your life. Because he convicts of sin. He convicts of righteousness. He, in other words, he, he lets us know what's right. He, he lets us know what's wrong and he lets, lets us know what's right. And he convicts us of judgment. And that's a consequence of our action. That's what he does. 
Don't do that. This is the simple kids' version. Don't do that. This is what hold, don't do that. Do that because if you don't, there's judgment. Believers face judgment. Unbelievers face judgment. Musicians. When was the last time someone used the word powerful to describe you? Many of us reduce the bigness of God to the smallest of our thinking. And so we don't go to church as much because you can't really do that. You can't in your own strength. If your church attendance has dropped off, I bet it's got more to do with what I'm shared today than all your excuses. If you're struggling with someone at work and you just can't get on with them, and they, I bet the real issue has got more to do with what I'm talking about today than anything that that guy did to you at work. If Paul and Silas can sing in jail, having been beaten and flogged just because they love Jesus, and they could see the bigger picture because they saw the bigness of God, it doesn't really leave a lot of room for us to say, but he said, you imagine Paul and Silas not filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment in their life. I don't know about you, Silas. This just ain't worth it, man. This ain't worth it. I'm, I, my back is killing me. And Silas going, so is mine. My stupid feet are in stocks. What the heck were we thinking? It's ridiculous. Peter and John, they expect too much of us. I'm not going to that church anymore. That's what it would have looked like without God. That's what it would have looked like. But full of the Holy Spirit, they're not looking at Peter. They're not looking at John. They're looking at God. How big is your God? I'm getting really bad with my timing. But I, I, I would love to break bread. So if we, our tendency, just start giving out from back to front, whatever it is, just start giving out the bread and the cup, that'd be great. And as you receive it, right where you are, just eat and drink. If you're a believer in this place, I want you to take the cup today and drink that cup in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. In the same way, take that bread and, and eat that bread in remembrance of Jesus. you don't know God or you don't even know what that means how about you let that cup and that bread go by and just ask God the question that so many of us have done who are you Lord who are you Lord what is this teaching I've heard today show me because he will the Holy Spirit is here right now and he leads you into truth every Christian on the face of the planet started that question who are you Lord What must I do to be saved? If you received your cup and your bread, stand with me. Sometimes I wish I had more than what I've got. This is it. It's, it, it's whether or not you believe what I've shared today. If you grab a hold of this truth, it'll change your life. I didn't say you'll become rich. I said it'll change your life. I didn't say you'll have no problems. I said it'll change your life. It'll change the way you see problems. It'll change the way you see money. 
It'll change the way you see your family. It'll change the way you see marriage. Man, in, in 50 years, many of us are not going to be on planet Earth anymore. With the exception of Irene, who'll still be around. <laughs> she ain't going anywhere until Jesus comes back. She's just on Earth forever, I think. I just... But for most of us, we won't be here. In 100 years, other than Irene, we won't be here. Don't miss this moment called life. Has anyone shot at it? There's no dress rehearsal. This is it. This is it. Now get the strength and get the power and get the perspective you need as we eat and as we drink right now in remembrance of an incredible God who went to incredible lengths to save us. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.